This is The Space Shot, episode 12, for May 26th, 2017. John F. Kennedy, part 2. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. In the last podcast, I included the audio of President Kennedy's urgent national needs speech. Today I want to dive into the politics of that speech, but before I do that, here's some context of the years leading up to the speech in 1961. At the close of World War II, the United States and the Soviet Union were both engaged in securing Nazi scientists, engineers, and materiel related to the V-2 program. The United States initiated Operation Paperclip with the intent of ensuring that the scientists with the technical know-how and the V-2-related hardware that the Allies would need ended up in America. Ultimately, the United States secured enough V-2 components and scientists to test the rocket in the United States. A test range located in White Sands, New Mexico, would become the home of German scientists as they tested improved and Americanized versions of the V-2. Dr. Werner von Braun surrendered to Allied forces so he could continue his work on liquid-fueled rockets in the United States. He was critical to the U.S. space effort both for the U.S. Army and later for NASA. During the Eisenhower administration, U.S. missile technology continued to improve, with tests for various rockets and missiles proceeding with the then-frequent and very public failures. Then, in 1957, the Soviet Union successfully launched Sputnik, the first satellite that was sent into orbit. The space age had officially begun. In 1958, the United States responded with Explorer 1, the first U.S. satellite, which would go on to discover the Van Allen radiation belts. However, these early American successes tended to be overshadowed by the failures that were broadcast on every major American network at the time. A great wave of advanced publicity focused attention at Cape Canaveral, Florida for the launching of Test Vehicle 3 of Project Vanguard, a preliminary to the scheduled launching of a 21-pound satellite in March. What happened is already unhappy history, another setback for the United States in the race into outer space. Here are official Defense Department films of the launching of the 72-foot missile, a loss of thrust, and fall back to Earth in split seconds. Vanguard 1 became known as Flopnik, or Kaputnik, in the aftermath of the launch failure that occurred right on the pad. The reality during the early years of the space age was that the American and Soviet launch failures happened with similar regularity, the American failures were just more public. From 1958 up to the election in 1960, Kennedy was on the offensive against President Eisenhower and then Vice President Nixon, the latter of whom was running against Kennedy during that election. Kennedy touted the missile gap that existed between the United States and the Soviet Union as a ploy to show that Eisenhower and Nixon had been unable to keep pace with the Soviets on defense. The reality is the missile gap did not exist, at least not how Kennedy was making it seem to the public. By some accounts, at the beginning of the 1960s, Soviet ICBM, or Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, capability stood at 10 operational missiles versus the 57 that America had ready. Even after being made aware of the fact that his claims were inaccurate, Kennedy continued to push the narrative that there was a gap, citing the need for greater expenditures on missile development. 
Once in office, Kennedy initially didn't take an interest in space activities. That is, until political gains could be achieved with successes in space. In his urgent national needs speech, Kennedy said, Finally, if we are to win the battle that is now going on around the world between freedom and tyranny, the dramatic achievements in space which occurred in recent weeks should have made clear to us all, as did the Sputnik in 1957, the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make a determination of which road they should take. Since early in my term, our efforts in space have been under review. With the advice of the Vice President, who is Chairman of the National Space Council, we have examined where we are strong and where we are not, where we may succeed and where we may not. Now it is time to take longer strides, time for a great new American enterprise, time for this nation to take a clearly leading role in space achievement, which in many ways may hold the key to our future on Earth. When viewed through the historical framework of the Cold War, it's clear that Kennedy saw the progress we made in space as a critical part of showing countries that they should ally with the United States against the Soviet Union during the Cold War. The programs that President Kennedy wanted to support all served to enhance the technological standing of the United States during the Cold War, thereby increasing our prestige in his eyes for the rest of the world. The competition between the two superpowers focused on which system of government was able to provide for its citizens in the best way, and the arena for this competition was space. This all-in mentality required a constant budget, constant public support, and constant political support three things that cannot be maintained indefinitely. Tomorrow we will finish talking about Kennedy and the direction he set for the United States and NASA after that speech. I'm also working on a longer post that covers Kennedy and NASA that I'll be putting online in blog form. One other piece of history I'm covering tomorrow is SpaceX landing a Falcon 9 booster on their drone ship, Of Course I Still Love You. Now that the space shot is available through iTunes, I would love if you could write a review for the show. Be sure to share the podcast on Facebook, Insta, Twitter, everywhere you connect with your friends and family. I'm super appreciative of the messages I've received so far, so don't be shy on iTunes. I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.